Hello, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360. I'm your moderator, Melinda Stevens, with Gastroenterology Consultants. With us today is Dr. David Hudisman, who is the co-director at the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Center at NYU Langone Health Medical Center in New York. He is with us today to discuss why patients with inflammatory bowel disease may fail their medication. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Hudisman. Happy to be here. Disease location, severity, response to therapy, and associated complications vary across this patient population. Does the heterogeneous nature of IBD often interfere with therapy? So it's interesting. We've been seeing an increase in incidence and prevalence rates of inflammatory bowel disease, not only in the U.S., but across the world, and especially in areas we haven't usually seen IBD in the past, such as some parts of Asia and South America. And what we're seeing is they're presenting with different phenotypic characteristics, such as some areas more likely ulcerative colitis, some areas more Crohn's. However, once you define that phenotypic characteristic of that patient, there really hasn't been any strong evidence showing that the response to medications differ in, for example, an Asian population versus a South American population versus a U.S. population. However, um, there really is only small amounts of data on this and something that will be interesting to continue to look at in the future. I think what really affects our response to therapy is defining the extent and the severity of disease upfront. So somebody with uh, more of a penetrating or fistulizing disease or fibrostenotic disease, we're going to treat differently than somebody with an inflammatory phenotype. Patient adherence can present a challenge for treatment. What reasons do you most commonly hear from patients as to why they don't adhere to, adhere to their medication and what are the consequences? So this is unfortunately something very common we see with our patients, and it can happen for a variety of reasons. Uh, first, um, I think one of the major reasons people do not adhere to their medications is fear of side effects. And some of these, some of them might be real side effects that the physician discusses with them, and others might they might hear from friends, family, look up online. Um, and I think you know one of the important things to address that issue is this whole idea of shared decision making or co-management. So discussing their concerns and fears uh, or concerns of side effects up front um, so that we know what medication might work best for that patient. Another common reason a patient doesn't adhere to the medication is when they're feeling well. So this is a chronic disease and patients go through periods when they're in an active flare and periods where they're in remission or feeling well. And it's common for patients that are feeling well to think, look, you know, I'm feeling well, maybe I don't need that medication. Um, and that's one of the more common reasons and why that is a very big concern for our patients with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis is how you feel does not always correlate with what's going on inside or their endoscopic activity, meaning they could be feeling well for six months to a few years while inside things are worsening. And when they do become sick again, now their disease is much more complicated. So the way I combat that is really trying to, you know, stress that point home with our patients that how you feel doesn't correlate with what's going on inside and close follow-up is important even if you're feeling great. Um, another common reason for adherence or lack of adherence is underlying anxiety and depression. And in some studies, over 30 to 35% of patients with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis have underlying anxiety. And when if this isn't addressed or discussed, this is another reason for medication non-adherence. Um, and, you know, as a GI doctor, I'm not fully equipped to manage and treat anxiety and depression. However, I do think it's important to bring that up with your patients to ask, you know, and have the 
right support, whether it's psychosocial support that they need. And then another unfortunate reason for um, medication non-compliance is just insurance issues, cost, um, lifestyle, and that's something that's very difficult to combat, especially in these times in the U.S. Um, however, you know, having a social worker on board, uh, which we do here at NYU Langone, really helps manage those other issues such as insurance or cost. What are the different treatment options and do any pose an increased risk for adverse effects that can interfere with adherence? So it's an exciting time uh, to manage inflammatory bowel disease because we have more treatment options than we ever had before. And there's also a variety of different new therapies in the pipeline that hopefully uh, that look promising and hopefully be approved in the next three to five years. For mild ulcerative colitis, we use mainly mesalamines or 5-amino salicylates, whether they're oral or topical. Mild Crohn's, we could use antibiotics. We could use maybe a topical steroid such as budesonide. But for our patients with moderate to severe disease, patients with complicating Crohn's disease, this is when we're using our immunosuppressives and biologics. And now something called a small molecule, which is one of our newer medications available for ulcerative colitis. So the different classes of these me medications include Imuran or 6-Macraptopurine, our anti-TNF agents such as infliximab, adalimumab, sertilizumab, and golimumab, our anti-integrin, vetalizumab, um, our anti-IL-1223 eustachinumab, and our new small molecule approved for ulcerative colitis, tofacitinib. And in general, these medications are modulating in the, the immune system one way or the other, depending on the class of medication and the mechanism of action. Um, and with that, there are different risks that come up. Um, some of the more common risks we see across um, all of these medications are infection. Now, certain medications that are more gut-specific, let's say like vetalizumab and eustachinumab, might have a lower infection rate um, versus our other agents. But I think it's important to realize that all of the medications I just mentioned, all of our immunosuppressives, biologics, and small molecules are safe medications, and their risks in general are low. The other risks that we speak about with patients that are very low in some of the classes of medications I discovered are lymphoma as well as skin cancer. And obviously, when patients hear that, that makes them very concerned. And I think it's really discussing with them, you know, in a way they could comprehend what that low risk is using certain analogies to discuss that low risk and also discussing the risk if you don't go on medication. So the risk of progression of your disease. What should a gastroenterologist do if a patient fails their biologic therapy for IBD? So I think the first step is to find out if they're really failing therapy. And what I mean by that is, again, as I mentioned earlier, symptoms do not always correlate with disease activity and disease severity, meaning that if somebody has an infection or stress in their life or had a bad diet, their symptoms might worsen. However, they're still responding pretty well to their biologic therapy or their current IBD therapy. So the first step is really to objectively say, are they failing therapy or not? So are they taking their medication? Do they have an elevated CRP or C-reactive protein or fecal calprotectin? Do you need to perform a sigmoidoscopy or colonoscopy to see if the disease is still active? So that's the first step. The second step is if they are active and they're flaring and they're just, they have increased disease activity, the second question are why that is. And there could be a couple of different reasons why 
when somebody's on biologic therapy. One potential reason is that the biologic therapy they're on is being underdosed, meaning that if you give more drug, their symptoms will improve and they'll start to have healing inside. Another possibility is that the body is rejecting the drug or developing antibodies. Um, and in that case, you will have to change drugs. And the third case is that the patient is getting the right amount of drug. There's no immunogenicity. However, the patient just, just does not respond to that class of drug anymore. We're unclear why that happens, but that's something that we do see. So something that could help with this is measuring a drug level. Um, this is therapeutic drug monitoring. And there is some controversy of doing TDM or therapeutic drug monitoring proactively, meaning when a patient is feeling well. However, in this situation, when a patient is failing or losing response, I think this is a very reasonable point to do TDM or therapeutic drug monitoring. I also want to say when you use this, you want to use this with caution meaning that in two circumstances, it's pretty straightforward what to do. In the third, it could get a little more confusing. If the drug level is very low or undetectable when you check, uh, when you're doing TDM, obviously, if you give more drug, you're hoping that patient is going to do better. So that's a situation where you would give more drug. If a patient has a high antibody titer, then that's a situation where you could switch within class, meaning if a patient's on one anti-TNF, did well for a while, now built up antibodies, you now could switch to a second anti-TNF because you already know that patient did well to the first and possibly add on an immunosuppressant such as 6-MP or methotrexate to help prevent antibodies. The third situation is if the drug level isn't is good, but they're still not doing well. And I think this is the part that, you know, I see a lot of referrals where they say where somebody says the drug level is good and they move on. And the concern is that we don't know what's the right level for the right patient, meaning that that optimal level could has been moving over the past few years, what we're shooting for. So I wouldn't look at a drug level in an isolated way. I think you want to take that while you're looking at the entire patient. And even though somebody might have a, you know, quote unquote, good level, maybe that person might benefit from trying a higher dose at a certain point. And what is the key takeaway gastroenterology specialists need to know about treating patients with IBD who have failed medication? Sure. So I think, again, as I mentioned from the start, we have a lot of different treatment options for our patients, which is great. And I think the initial thing we need to do is really have this idea of shared decision-making co-management and going through these different options. So the patients here is going to will be on board with your decision that they'll be more likely to adhere. Um, if a patient is failing their current therapy, again, step one, make sure they have active disease and it's not an infection or stress or anxiety or IBS. And then the second thing is, is in biologic therapy, using therapeutic drug monitoring to help guide you um, to whether you should stay within the same class of medication or switch classes. Okay. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Hudisman. Thank you very much.